there's a stereotype of the dad walking into the uh, the TV room and then he stands there with like his arms crossed or behind his back and he's just caught mm-hmm. up in the scene of the movie and then he stands there for 40 minutes. I do hate that. I hate that so much. I do that myself all the time, man. Like... <laughs> Tju, gesundheit und hallo. Willkommen to this podcast, which is featuring Mauricio and myself. Hello. Algot. Um, this is a podcast where we talk into microphones, have a fika, and talk about movies. On the docket today, however, we got Ad Astro, which I'm extremely excited for. It's one of my, honestly, like having seen it in the theaters, I knew coming out of the theater, like, man, this is the, this is the best movie this year. This is the best movie this year. I'm calling it. Naturally, naturally, if you want to pinpoint it, technically, uh, Jojo Rabbit came out officially the same year. But in Sweden, it's, of course, a little bit postponed. So in my book... <laughs> In my book, Ad Astra was the best movie that year, closely followed by Jojo Rabbit that came out like uh, January, uh, essentially. Or at least I saw it. At least I saw it in January. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was trying out. Um, I was trying out the AirPlay thing um, from my iPad to my TV. Um, what thing is there a new thing or is or are you just talking you're just streaming your iPad to your TV just streaming my iPad to my yeah. TV um, but not through the Apple TV just like through the TV um, and I picked Jojo Rabbit uh-huh. and I was supposed to just like oh it works I'm good um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I totally rewatched it because Fucking A, it's an amazing movie. I, honestly, mm. I love it so much. Mm. Um, do do you also do that? There's there's a stereotype, a caricature of the dad walking into the uh, the TV room and then he stands there with like his arms crossed or behind his back and he's just caught mm-hmm. up in the scene of the movie and then he stands there for 40 minutes. I do that myself all the time, man. Like... <laughs> You know me. Watching movies with me triggers you, so I tend to sit put. But if I, mm. I, I guess my <clears throat> speaks to my uh, mindset or whatever and attention span. But if I, I'm not, I'm not afraid to like go fix something in the kitchen and keep the movie on, and then I'll walk back into the TV room and stand there, just watching the movie. Yeah, and then no, I find I, myself standing, looking at a movie for thirty minutes until I sit back down. I do hate that. I hate that so much. But I do. I so my dad loves animation. I think interesting animation is just something that makes him really happy. I don't know what it connects to, but mm. uh, specifically because uh, he loves the Hotel Transylvania movies. Oh, they're so good, though. Uh, I love those. The third one is shit, them. but he, yeah. I don't even know which one's which. <laughs> uh, I like for me, they're a big blur because a he's always watching one of them. And B, 
I don't care enough about those movies because I don't like them enough. So then I just like I watched bits and pieces of all uh, three of them, and I swear to God, it's like one movie in my head mm-hmm. now. Um, so that's the that's the only times that I do do that when I walk into like the living room and he's like halfway through Hotel Transylvania, and I'm like, I hate this movie, but then I'm there with him, I'm like laughing and shit, and I'm like, okay, maybe I don't hate this movie, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> It sounds um, you you remind me of those people that saw Mamma Mia and claims that they hate the movie because it's so poorly made blah 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 but but you can't hate Mamma Mia if you I love Mamma Mia <laughs> I feel Mia, like but I know what you're if saying If you claim that you dislike <laughs> that movie you don't live life to the fullest for sure and mm. you hate life that's what that's what that means if you say you hate mamma mia like, you hate life there's nothing no question about it even the second one where it like the second one is actually really the second one is made. so good i still really enjoy it Al- almost yeah. better in some aspects with the with the song numbers it's better <sighs> yeah no i can see they i, I enjoy mm-hmm. i enjoy both of them the second one definitely for some reason was made but I, it looks like it was like a lower budget mm-hmm. so then why make it but whatever um i like money i enjoyed i enjoy both of them i really really do enjoy both of them um but like in terms of 2019 uh and mm. it's funny that you bring it up i think 2019 was a great fucking year for movies knives out came out uh-huh. 2019 and I fucking love it. My recommendation for later also came out in 2019. I, um, I, I on the subject of Knife Out, I rewatched it and it still doesn't work for me. It, you bitch. I, it's I, the reveal just doesn't click with me. That's all. I, I gave it a second shot. I love doesn't sit right with me. I'm sorry. I love Knife It's great. Night, night, I'm, it's so good and I'm so excited for the new for like the second one because the cast yes. looks amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, My favorite character was definitely uh, David, da- Daniel, Daniel, Craig. That there was my go. favorite character, one hundred percent, and he got confirmed to appear in the second one. So yes, excited. Well, yeah, uh, and yeah, we're following his. And Ryan Johnson again. is amazing. I just didn't like the ending. That's all. Okay, Ryan Johnson is amazing. Um. I, I still think about Brick. I'm not going to lie. I still think about Brick. Um, yeah. Alrighty. But it is not 2019. And I'm not saying 2020 is a bad movie year. It, there were a lot of good movies that came out last year. Um, well, in comparison, there was lack of movies. That's all I can say. Yeah. I think worldwide, there was definitely a, a lack of movies. And, and you definitely felt that if you lived outside of the US and you don't have Hulu and HBO Max and all of these streaming services allowing you to watch the latest movies. Um, however, it is 2021 and uh, new movies are coming out now. And uh, one of them is Army of the Dead by uh, Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. And uh, we watched it, both of us, yeah. which is unusual for a Netflix release <laughs> for us to be like, okay, let's watch like, this right now. Equally excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I will say Zack Snyder has such a place on my list of directors. I know. He yeah. is so cool. And surely enough, as we talked about before, uh, off air, it's like, 
it's a very much an, a, a Zack Snyder meets Netflix type of movie. It shows, mm-hmm. but man, mm-hmm. he, it's a good flick. It's just what you expect, yeah. and it's really fun. And it's it was really cool because I saw Dawn of the Dead, which he also yeah. like it was his first feature, yeah. uh, which was written by James Gunn. And I think I even told you about it maybe off the air. But the point is, like, I watched that. I don't know, like four months ago, and then this got announced, and I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm excited because I I like Dawn of the Dead, and I enjoy what he did for that. Um, Isn't that more traditional then, zombie movie though? Because this one is very much yeah. world. I never saw it. World said World Z. Yeah, World War huh. Z. Yeah. Oh, it definitely is more yeah. like that. Um, but Dawn of the Dead is more conventional, and uh, it still puts its own like its Snyder spin on it, and. It's written by James Gunn, so it's like it's really fun, um, like the Scooby Doo movie was. <laughs> the The best way I can describe uh, is it called Army of the Dead. Is uh-huh. it's it's essentially Suicide Squad, yes. but zombies. Yeah, that yeah, that's a great comparison. Um, the, it goes off the rails a little bit with the zombie concept with, you know, their type of runners versus walkers and everything, but it's mm-hmm. okay. It's okay. I enjoyed I enjoyed the, the twist on the zombies and I enjoyed Did the you? fact that Vegas is like yeah, okay. yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. Um I I like when people try and do things differently within the genre. Mm. Um like The Last of Us did. The Last of oh, Us yeah. was a game that, for all intents and purposes, they're zombies, right? But they're not zombies, but they are. Um, like, you get infected and you come back and, you and know, I feel like zombies. Uh, developing zombies as a creature is very much in the vein of zombies. Ghouls, mm-hmm. originally. Like, George, whatever M his name is. Uh, it's very much, like, belongs in the history of zombies, of creating something new and uh, developing it further for sure um i think the movie like the move the problems that i have with the movie are the problems that i have with most Zack snyder Mm. films um but i thought it was really fun i enjoyed it i think david batista could have the potential to be a better dwayne johnson than dwayne johnson is because here's the thing right i love the rock and i think he's a really cool actor but i think that dave uh, has a little bit more range i think yeah. he like the work the really tiny role that he had in blade runner 2049 is so Amazing. cool to yeah, me yeah. um so yeah i think dave batista is definitely growing on me from all the like wrestler yeah. figures that we have in movies now you could easily have cast the rock instead of batista in fact i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if that would have been their first pick but probably but the reason why they batista wouldn't work in something like the furious fast and furious is just his looks he's too comically mm-hmm. asymmetrical personally that's that's yeah. a good thing but um yeah in a serious role different from uh, army of the dead he, he just wouldn't work he's not as pretty as john cena or mm-hmm. dwayne johnson mm-hmm. or that other dude uh what other dude? isn't there like a twin from dwayne or am i confusing where's that i don't know I don't there's know. a guy <laughs> uh, never mind 
I, I will I won't get okay. to that. <laughs> it would take me all day to figure out a um, name. No, I like I think you're right. I think you're right. I think part of the charm of having Dave Batista be the main character is that he looks like a dad. Like he even though I'm he's jacked as fuck, mm. he still looks like a dad. And then they put on the fucking glasses for him. I fucking love it. <laughs> and of course you see someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, the daycare fairy what's it called nanny no that was vin diesel oh is that the guy i'm thinking of possibly yeah yeah possibly but he wasn't a wrestler though oh i see right? what you, yeah i see what you mean yeah mm-hmm. that's true yeah mm-hmm. the uh, my my grudge trying trying my best to keep it spoiler free here uh it might be way yeah. too vague for you to understand what i'm trying to get at but uh, the thing that didn't make any sense to me is the uh, the main female character. Her entire arc goes out the window by the very, very end because we don't see what happened to the other character that she cared for. That's just dismissed and is all about whatever else. Yeah, so when I say that my biggest gripe with this movie is the gripe that I have with every Zack Snyder film, ah. <laughs> except Sucker Punch because I haven't seen Sucker Punch, <laughs> is the fact that he can't handle women characters, okay? No, Sucker Punch and is I'm probably the a... worst of his way of handling female characters. Well, I don't know. I really haven't seen it. But my, my point is, like, the thing that you just brought up, pissed me off Mm. like it truly did but what it also pissed me off is earlier in the film the other female character or like quote-unquote important female character Mm -hmm. (laughs) her entire thing gets dismissed Mm -hmm. out of nowhere and then fuck it spoiler spoiler warning i'm sorry i need to vent anna de la reguera's character confesses to dave batista like oh you know i only came here for you i love you whatever that other female character yeah so she's not a badass motherfucking like zombie killing machine now she basically dropped everything in his life for a man just uh, like that yeah but and then she gets murdered yeah 10 seconds after that just so that dave batista has like Mm-hmm. a weird mm. moment of like badassness mm. it's like fuck you man like why why use your female characters as a plot device i don't agree with it i don't like it and it's just oh she got played dirty because she never got to be a badass other than like the opening sequence and she gets set up to be this badass uh, yeah and then she gets fucking yeah, murdered yeah. out of nowhere 100 percent. your your argument is completely valid and i wish i had a defense because i feel like the setup for the reveal of that love that they had for each other is valid but i mean it's a good setup for for that it's a good setup but then honestly i don't kill her that quickly yeah yeah don't kill her that quickly if you're gonna kill her fuck it okay kill her personally i thought who was gonna die was gonna be dave I thought the movie was going to end with him dying inside of Vegas, not oh. outside and because he got bit. No. But he was going to like sacrifice himself for the two women in his life because that's what the character arc mm. would have asked for. But well, whatever, that's just me. 
it makes sense that the daughter kills the father though to complete her arc yeah but then like her whole like adam and you know fucking bullshit of mm. going inside and finding this woman doesn't matter anymore mm-hmm. we don't even know what happens to her <laughs> all i can say is like the ending all in all was shit but the last scene yeah. when we follow what's his name uh we follow him onto the ver 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 ho ver what's the actor's name i know no, I don't know. Oh. I don't know the actors. <laughs> when we follow him actually going out out, out from Las Vegas, he realizes yeah. bit and everything. That kind of saves it. Like the other endings of just character developments are left yeah. in the dirt. But but it's a nice last scene. Yeah, I get why they're setting up a sequel because are they? Based yeah, on okay, how... like that. Oh yeah. Based on how well the movie is doing on Netflix, they've already confirmed that they might do a second one. Well, um, okay. I'm okay with it, honestly. I think it might be cool. But um, I love the fact that he survives a nuke attack inside of a vault because if Indiana Jones can do it inside of a refrigerator, (laughs) anyone fucking can. Well, it's the Um, most secure vault in the world, right? Why wouldn't it? survive a fucking nuke (laughs) there's a lot of cash in there also to like uh, lessen his fall lessen the fall (laughs) I I was watching it with my brother and 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 he was like do you think he survived and I was like bro no and he was like I don't know man like we live in a world where Indiana Jones did it in the refrigerator (laughs) so and I was like oh shit he's not wrong he was a good watch yet Mm-hmm. Zack Snyder was all over it, and I really, oh, I yeah. really don't mind. He, um, he's, he's to me, he's a really good filmmaker in the same sense that, uh, uh, what's the guy who made Terminator, Transformer, James Cameron. Transformer. Oh, those are very different <laughs> yes. people. The Terminator was James Cameron. Uh, You're talking about Michael Bay. Yeah, I love Bayham. It's so cool. Snyder has a similar I, touch to his movies. I'm not gonna. I think, to me, Zack Snyder, especially because he like he DP'd Army of the Dead. He was the cinematographer for yeah, it. Great. He's slowly but surely turning into the American or more American version of Robert Rodriguez for me. As a cinematographer. As a as a director, I I think because oh, mm-hmm. I Robert Rodriguez is Mexican American, but um, yeah, Zack Snyder is just like the white version of Robert mm. Rodriguez. We can jump into recommendations. I got you know what have you been watching? Have you been watching anything interesting? Anything that tickled you funny? No, <laughs> I haven't really been watching too too much as of recently. Okay. Have you? Have I no no? <laughs> so so I resorted to looking up my my diary on Letterboxd simply. Mm-hmm. So it might not be that genuine of a recent cool new thing that everybody needs to check out, but everybody needs to check out one of my favorite Swedish filmmakers, mm-hmm. Roy Anderson. It's really up there for me. Yes, he is 
the quintessential uh, f- uh, pretentious movie filmmaker when it comes to Swedes. If you think if you think mm-hmm. Bergman is bad enough, this guy is uh, so much worse. <laughs> Roy mm-hmm. Anderson has a special place in my heart because of mostly the photography. Naturally, that's what really stands out in his filmmaking style and his um, mm-hmm. um, um, perfectionistic approach to it. Every single shot is basically a um, ro- romance period painting. Uh, is that what you call it? Romance era? Uh, the Renaissance? Renaissance is what I'm thinking of. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them more obviously than other, naturally. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite movie that would be my recommendation or and a very good place to start is a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. I'll do it one more time. Roy Anderson, a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. All of these movies are very reflective and um, and 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 philosophical is the best way to put it. And pretentious, simply. And you need to mm. sit through them with an open mind and with a lot of time on your hands and it'll change you as a person in uh, for the better or for the worse <laughs> i like when you recommend pretentious yeah. film because it's like we can talk about army of the dead but it's also like pretentious filmmaker though uh, that's a turn isn't it <laughs> um the- i mean it makes sense i think both our recommendations today are a little bit based on the movie that we're going to be watching. Mm. Um, I don't know the dry Swedish humor, but not um, not much unlike uh, British humor. If you're familiar, mm. it, it's it's hilarious, but also extremely depressing. Uh, watch the trailer, and you will know exactly what what I'm talking about. You you won't miss out on anything because it's a very every scene is very standalone from each other so go ahead watch a trailer yeah. if that doesn't sit well with you the movie is going to be even worse so um, I don't know it's an yeah. acquired taste but it, he's he's one of my favorite Swedish filmmakers uh, in terms of like you said watching new stuff and watching things that are exciting or whatever um, I mean I guess I'm watching Clone Wars but that's a slow trickle dude thing. I'm on the last season now it's so good <laughs> <laughs> the last season you got your you have stuff to look forward to no it's like i'm excited and i'm enjoying it but a you recommended it already Sorry. and b like i'm not i'm not binging it you know like i'm taking my time with it um and it's like okay what have i watched though yeah. and um or what am i consuming and i think i've spoken about this before but basically you and i love a YouTube channel called Lessons from the Screenplay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's always been super fun. Mm. And I really enjoy Michael, uh, who is the host of that. But he also has a podcast called Beyond the Screenplay. And while it is not my recommendation for this week, I think it is a fucking amazing podcast yeah. and I love it. Bonus um, Rick. Uh, yeah, Bonus Rick. He has the podcast and it's with uh three other people from his team and i love 
all three of them. I think they're all very different and they complement each other. Um, but they put out uh, an episode for a movie that I saw when it came out and I enjoyed and I thought it was beautiful. Um, but seeing that they had put out an episode for it made me want to rewatch it so that I could watch the episode. Hmm. And that movie is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, nice. um, and it came out in 2019 as... So many other great movies, I guess. Uh, but basically, Ad Astra came out that year, too. Um, and so I rewatched Portrait of a Lady on Fire because uh, I, I have the Criterion version of it. And it's uh, fucking beautiful. Oh, that's a really nice cover. And, yeah. And um, I fell in love. I fell in love with this movie. Uh, I think it is probably top five favorites of 2019 for me. It just, it's, honestly, it's genius uh, in how it's constructed. The photography of it is amazing. Uh, it looks like a painting. Everything looks like a painting in this movie. And the way that it captures romance and love. And it's just, it's beautiful. And I can't recommend it enough. Um, will it be for everyone? No. Uh, but I feel like if you're interested in our opinion on Ad Astra, it's probably because you really enjoyed it or because you really hate it. And if you really enjoyed Ad Astra, I think you might really enjoy Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Nice. That compliments it. Yeah. It's honestly so good, man. What the fuck? I kind of want to rewatch it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, yeah. Less enough the screenplay and all of that. Yeah, it's, it's good. You recommend it. Or you made me aware of the podcast. And, and since then, mm. I mean, there's, there's just so many good breakdowns in the podcast yeah. that they don't have uh, videos on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, great stuff. <laughs> Definitely. Um. We can jump into the movie now. I will uh, hand it off to you, Alka. Oh, interesting. Well, let me tell you about this uh, week's movie, Ad Astra, directed by James Gray, of course, featuring Brad Pitt and uh, Tommy Lee Jones, more noticeably. Even though Tommy Lee Jones has, um, well, th- less screen time than his fellow mate, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. It is about astronaut Joe Roy McBride that undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed expedition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. It's a very existential, philosophical, thrilling space exploration movie. Yeah. Even, but I will say this though, even the synopsis that you gave and the trailer that you showed me before is kind of misleading. <gasps> like, it is very exciting. It's a very exciting movie, but not not in the way that people expect it to be. No, it's not. I mean, there are scenes, like the opening scene is very much action-packed, but the mm-hmm. heart of the movie is more closely to i would say gravity and the heart of that uh then again i see a very clear uh correlation between ad astra and 2001 the space odyssey Mm. so if you do appreciate Mm -hmm. those movies 
possibly the Martian also. It definitely falls into that category again. It's mm-hmm. it's one of those less sci-fi, even though this takes place in the far as future. It's very much realistic with its um, yeah with its science, which I appreciate. I- I read a I read an interview with uh, James Gray, who also co-wrote the script, um, and he was saying how he regrets saying previous to this interview that Ad Astra is a realistic movie, hmm. and that what he meant was that he, his co-writer and him tried to make the most plausible sci-fi movie. Hmm. That's what they wanted, like the most plausible scenario for all of these. Uh, things that happen within the 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 movie um because as a as my short ass non-spoilery review it is again one of the best experiences i had that year um originally i was questioning whether or not it was the um thanks to the party that I was, was with uh, going into the theater. But now on a rewatch, I still find a lot of love for the movie because what it is really is a father and son story and an exploration of existence uh, mm-hmm. on that. So the heart of the film is something that is very abstract and I love it. And the path to that sort of a discovery that we are experiencing is amazing and there are many elements to it that i i i love i love it throughout and if you're into this kind of sci-fi it's a must watch i couldn't i couldn't agree more to be completely honest i i saw this movie uh when it came out in theaters i was excited about it mostly because I had seen Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Mm -hmm. and I was getting the feeling that he was trying to do something different uh, with the roles that he took and uh, fuck yeah both of those movies are some of my favorite work from him I think he's so subtle and he's so engaging in this performance it's so good Um, Hollywood was 2019 also yeah, a, I'm telling you, it was so good. It was a good summer. <laughs> um, I will say that when I came out of the theater, I was like, I know this movie's not for everyone, and I'm not sure if I will enjoy it upon a rewatch. So when you suggested it mm. as part of uh, the podcast, I was excited to revisit mm. it, and I am happier than ever because I fucking I loved this movie. I thought it was amazing. I am super excited to talk about a movie for once. Uh, that I adore to this extent and not just a movie that I'm just, you know, giving my first impression on. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a while, kind of. But I'm mm-hmm. but I'm less excited to talk about a movie that we I feel like we're just going to give a lot of praise and nothing negative because I, I frankly don't have <laughs> anything bad to say. If you were to nitpick, sure, I can come up with something. But yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm excited to talk about it. So let's get into spoiler territory. Uh, Alrighty. Actually breaking down what the movie is all about and not be as vague anymore. I um, 
I'm also excited to talk about a movie that we've seen before because I can take notes. <laughs> so I have notes. I see. If at some point in the conversation you um we run into a little bit of like okay what do we talk about now i have notes and i'm excited mm -hmm. about it i think this movie is great um i also think that before we start talking about the movie itself we can give credit to some of the people other than the director and the cast because i feel like this movie Not that other movies don't, but in this case, I fanboy about certain people in the crew. Uh, obviously, most notably, Alga, you know my love for Hoite van Hoytma, who is a cinematographer. And I think, like, his work every time is just above and beyond. And um, stunning. This movie is like no exception. Oh, like no. this movie is fucking amazing. Yeah. It um, it's really cool how it goes from scene by scene with a completely new color scheme to a different take on how how this lighting complements the story. And mm -hmm. there are so many aspects and progress throughout the movie and. He's 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 doing great. He's great. It's visually stunning throughout. That's my point. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, talking about Hoyt's work on this movie kind of lends itself to the fact that we can start at the beginning of this movie, which, like you said, is one of the most like action-packed parts of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and we start first of all. The movie starts with us going through the sun and kind of like seeing the whole spectrum of light like the color spectrum of light uh and then we end up on earth and we see this space station like low um low gravity low atmosphere low orbit version of a space station and brad pitt is I there and he's like doing I stuff think, i think technically they're building a space elevator possibly a space uh cable I'm not sure. That's what looks... It definitely looks like mm. that. Yes, I agree. Um, so we already know that this is not necessarily present day, no. but it's also not 150 years in the future. Um, it's somewhere in between, somewhere, like the director said, somewhere like plausible, mm. closer to us. Um, and I think it's just... Such a cool way to start the fucking movie, like, oh god, holy like, shit. We see it more uh, by the end of the movie, but just the way we see these movies and how they are shooting, uh, you know, the, the reflection of their of their helmets and everything, it's, it's so visually stunning, especially where we find ourselves in the beginning of the movie, where it was like right on the uh, atmosphere or below or below, whatever, wherever it is below because if not he would have fallen down i guess yes he would have but not straight uh regardless i love science the way it's shot it's so cool how the sun and how the light rays are hitting them it's beautiful and i i really enjoy yes. when they do these kind of things when you see it from their perspective from the inside of the helmet also mm -hmm. with the sound design 
more so when we find ourselves out in space, but even here when we have uh, the control in his earpiece or helmet, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think what I really enjoy about how space is portrayed here is kind of like the duality of space travel that we might come to see in the future with and i'm jumping forward a little bit but um in case we want to talk about a little bit of the story um once uh roy comes back to earth he gets debriefed about the fact that what caused the accident that throws him back to Mm -hmm. earth uh, was this thing that they're calling the surge and that it's coming from what they thought was a lost spacecraft that his father manned 30 years ago uh, when he went off to explore deep space in look uh, in search of alien life. Uh, and they want Roy to go to Mars and potentially Neptune to find his dad and contact him and all this other stuff. And this is like, One of my favorite parts of the movie is this duality between what we see takes him from Earth to the moon, which is a commercial flight. And it's like, you know, designed like an airplane. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sure, space travel is available to the Mm -hmm. public to the point where you have to pay for your pillow and your blanket if you want one you see everything Um, from the gate number to this little uh informative video that plays before the flight and everything the the space crew uh or flight attendants as you would know them (laughs) it's it's cool and that's what i really appreciate about space odyssey it's the same approach to it just in space odyssey i guess it's more of an 80s vision on it Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's that's one of the extremely strong correlations that I draw myself between the two movies yeah. and how you explore these very plausible uh, futures. I don't know why you would go visit the the, the moon. Uh, of course, we kind of get it explained once he lands on the moon and how his internal dialogue uh, exclaims that his father would hate what they have done to the the moon and it just being yeah mm-hmm. commercial and a tourist destination. I think it's a really good uh, thing that you talk about the voiceover and like the internal monologue that we receive from Roy throughout the movie because realistically, yes, there's other characters in this movie, but our main focus and sole driving point is Roy Mm -hmm. and very much like um, very much in tune with the rest of the film. He's a rather lonely person. Um, He embodies this sort of very masculine Mm. archetype of the astronaut Mm. right like his pulse never raises over 80 and all this and i would even say Um, military dude yes 100 percent. shuts out their feelings don't want to settle down Mm -hmm. because of the of the of the job Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the fact that you know he has so many uh, unresolved emotions <laughs> and feel feelings about his dad abandoning yeah. him for mm-hmm. a job. Um, and I think his voiceover is an interesting balance of letting us know what he actually feels and, and wants to think about 
um, while also telling us about how he might even lie to himself constantly about who he is and how he processed the emotions that he processed. Which which we've covered before. I forget which movie, but internal dialogues don't often work. In this case, mm. maybe at first glance, it seems a little bit weird, strange that you would take that sort of a fun approach approach in a movie. But um, but I guess it works because most of the time, let's be honest, it's more of a philosophical statement that he drops yeah. and less so that it's an internal dialogue in that case and more of a um, as if he would be writing in a diary sort of a thing mm. so it's not uh, what do you call it when it's uh, when they narration no, I'm thinking of the word when they explain what's happening exposition yes. mm-hmm. it's not it's never really exposition it's just Mm-mm. the character reflecting uh, and uh, and it kind of works in the favor of the character. He never shows any emotions uh, on the outside, but as we're led into his mind, we know him on that level and understand that he's not sure. he's not that simple as he seems to be since his heart rate has never gone above 80 or whatever they say. Yeah. And I think, like, he says that he's a he became an astronaut because his dad was an astronaut and he his dad was a hero and he has all this praise to say about his dad and about being an astronaut and then the more that we start looking into who he is and how he handles himself and why he takes the mission um we start to see that it's not because his dad was an astronaut that he became one it's not admiration it's not like oh my dad was a great policeman i want to be a policeman it's more like you know, my dad preferred being an astronaut to being with his son. So then it must it must be really cool. Or at least if I become an astronaut, I can in some way reconnect with mm. him. And um, which if that's not <laughs> ultimately, ironically, yeah. that's that's the case, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sadly enough. For sure. For sure. Um, so we're in the moon. It's all decked right. out Fuck. in um, product placement and all this other crap, which I think is genius, by the way. And apparently there's a, a war on the moon mm-hmm. going on. Because it also makes sense. It, it makes sense, but that's... In all fairness, this is the sequence that I feel is a little bit too much. If I okay. were to pick one, this this feels out of place. This feels more of a filler type of scenario than anything. Sure, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. works that like, I mean, it, it it expands on the world that we're in. But is it necessary? Not not necessarily, right? Uh, we get the debrief that there is very possibly pirates out there. Who would have thought there are pirates out there and they shoot up two of the uh, moon dune, dune buggies and the only survivors, mm-hmm. <laughs> surprisingly enough, is our main character and this guy who's supposed to follow him and uh, be his... Yeah, like a secondary father yeah. figure. Um, like that character didn't really make sense on a first watch until you uh, until until the climax. 
and and I guess no, it works. That character works actually, um, but he doesn't seem to have as big of a role as he end up ends up having. Mm-hmm. I think I really like the sequence on you the did. moon, and yeah, I did. But I do because of how it is made, right? Mm. Not necessarily because of of how it works within the story. I just think it's really, really original in its take of space combat. Star Wars. Um, (laughs) Exactly. And I feel like um, I was listening to the commentary of this and um, James Gray talks about how to shoot everything that they did on the surface of the moon. What they did is uh, they created a texture off of the... um, off of the 16 millimeter uh, rolls of film that there is of the actual moon mm. surface so that the moon surface looked like it really nice. does. And they they shot uh, in the desert. And what they mm-hmm. did is they shot with like a 3D rig, but not because they wanted to make the film 3D, but because James Gray likes film stock and the grain that film stock gives but he understands that it's easier to have a vfx pipeline with digital footage so what he did was he shot on a 3d rig meaning two cameras and one was film stock and the other one was digital so that the vfx aspect of the sequence could be done digitally but he wouldn't lose the feel and the grain and the everything that he feels that film stock brings to uh-huh. the table. So like the skin tones is kept within the film and then he decides which element he wants to. That blows my mind. It's insane. <laughs> that is so elaborate for, for, for what it is. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, kudos to him, yeah. honestly. Good for you. I thought it was really cool because I, I, it, I don't know anyone that would he, go to that extent, right? But and that's what I was gonna say, right? We're used to directors choosing one or the other. We're used to directors being like, "Nah, man, fucking film or nothing." And there's directors who are like, "Dude, digital is the best way to shoot this, and that's the way I'm gonna mm. shoot it." And this guy is like, "Hold my beer, <laughs> I'm gonna use both of them," and it's like. It's very similar to what we were talking about on the previous episode of how there's nowadays there's animation studios who use 2D animation, but mix in CGI elements. Um, And I think Mm. it was such Mm. a like obvious choice, Mm. but not obvious at all in the sense of like, if you have two mediums to shoot your movie in, why not use them both? Wow. That Um, blows my mind. Uh, it's a very yeah. good comparison uh, with the animation there. I think uh, kind of where it loses me, I guess it establishes the conflict. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe. It kind of establishes the internationality that is in space mm-hmm. as we later on For gets... Sure. Uh, uh, and uh, we later on find ourselves on a Norwegian spacecraft and whatnot. Yeah. The the blasters though is a little bit too sci-fi to me to <sighs> too sci-fi. It really looks mm. like light uh, blasters. What do you call them? Mm-hmm. Uh, laser pistols. Laser. Really looks like it. I know it's not completely. Mm-hmm. 
but it looks like <laughs> that that it's a little bit too yeah. far off for me it kind of takes me a bit out of it i wouldn't have minded that sequence just have been a and now we're on mars no but kind of yeah um i think it's a it is definitely the most fi we get out of the sci-fi yeah. for sure because if you don't mind like skipping ahead uh, past the norwegian spacecraft we lose a crew member and he's eaten by monkeys and that's terrifying we, dude that scene is we, terrifying as fuck we do see our first you know um gore shot though mm-hmm. which is nice i i like mm-hmm. the take on gore in this movie i do because they don't shy yeah. away from it not neither do they you know glorify it like they would in saw in a lack of a better is it a better I, I guess Tarantino, he he mm-hmm. glorifies it and it works for his movies. But in this one, it's it's disgusting and it's gross and it's in your face. But it's it's quick and easy, sort of like you're yeah. not traumatized from it. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> no, I no, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, especially because it's like, given who our guide through this movie is. It makes sense that it's like, oh, that, yeah, that just happened. But then he moves on from it really mm. quickly, you mm. know, where it's like, yeah, well, I mean, it's space, it's space, deep space travel is very dangerous. You exactly. Know? So, uh, yeah. And it makes sense that he does, he takes, seemingly, he takes lightly upon losing another human's life. I mean, I guess at first he feels remorse. But it wasn't his fault, ultimately, still. So he moves mm-hmm. on. To me, the movie yeah. doesn't start until halfway through. I don't feel like it's slow up until the point. But the heart or even anything that has to do with the actual story, honestly, starts when he finds himself on Mars. Yeah. And that's funny that you say it because that's the midpoint. And you're right. The midpoint is when he finds out that his dad is fucking crazy and, you yeah. know, megalomaniac and like he is a cult leader for all intents and purposes. Mm. And it's maybe not necessarily that the movie starts, but it's when the movie shows its true yeah. colors. And it's like, yes, this was a search for his father, but now it's also turned into the needy greedy aspect of his own journey within himself. And, you know, the things that happen right after that, that makes it a very lonely journey for him is what eventually leads him to come back to earth. You know, do you, could you be able to clarify to me the, what would you call her? The Martian? She's born on Mars. So she's technically a Martian, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess her parents are Earthlings. <laughs> what? Yeah, you're talking about um, you're talking about Ruth, yeah, right? Uh, a very yeah. you know a very convenient character. Regardless, what is her motivation to reveal to him that his father has gone loco and helps him to actually go to to is it Neptune? Isn't it Uranus? Is it, mm-hmm. is it Neptune? Neptune? Okay. Neptune. I am going to cheat a lot, but I do have an answer for you, but I am cheating. Um, James Gray said that when writing the, sh- the, the script, him and his co-writer 
followed the structure of classic mm. uh, myth uh, of of classic mythology, right? Okay. Uh, and there are very specific, let's call them markers, through a myth, like a classic myth, right? Getting to the moon and being able to exit through the mm. moon, it's like when the hero goes through um, the gateway. And then at some point during the myth, they get what is called the meeting with a goddess right. or the meeting with an oracle. And while in myths, it's usually a pretty sexist, sexist depiction, what he wanted was for Brad Pitt to find himself in a situation where he had human contact with someone who was not lying to him before going off into a, a space mission where he knows he's probably going to have to kill the crew of the actual vessel right. yeah. uh, and then spend and then spend however many days on his own dealing with his own ghosts and demons and reasonings for being an astronaut and going to find his father because um, yeah so basically what he's trying to do is to challenge the stereotype that we have now of a hero because of superhero movies, right? When classically heroes are very flawed people <laughs> who have a lot of shit to deal yeah, yeah. with. Because up to this point, up till he finds himself on Mars and makes the conscious decision of actually pursuing his father, he's nothing but... Yeah, you're you're classical good guy, a hero and military. Exactly, uh, nothing affects mm-hmm. him. Masculine, emotionless, man, whatever. Sure. But then it yeah. takes the turn for the worse, where he well ends up killing the crew naturally, and yeah, yeah, you know, takes his own ego before others. What's the word? Yeah, say? he's like he he puts his own benefit and intentions before what yeah well yes and no because i feel like to an extent he also thinks that he's the best person to go on this mission and stop uh the surge from happening Mm. and i think that has a lot to do with the fact that he thinks he's believed everything that the military has told him about himself and that he's really good and that he's you know unfallible and i think the scene when they land on mars works in in his favor in that sense Exactly, 100%. But I also feel that he gets, you know, a kick in the nuts because of killing the crew and having to spend that much time by himself yeah. and how that really fucks mm-hmm. him up. Because mm-hmm. um, as some of us learned during the pandemic, being alone with your thoughts is not as easy as one might think. <laughs> and you <laughs> encounter who you are good and bad and for him in this case was you know accepting and coming to terms that his dad left him and that uh, it and hurt that his and dad that now he... has killed his crew exactly and that he you know fucked up his marriage mm. because of this lack mm. of you know acknowledging his feelings yes yeah. i feel like I feel like while the movie is a father-son movie, it is also very much a masculine movie. Like, what it, what is to be a man, you know? Like, 
you we don't talk about our emotions we have certain expectations within uh the jobs that we uh pursue and the jobs that we do and how we do them needs to be in a certain way um and i think james and his co-writer are both trying to break with that and and be like hey but it's okay to admit that you have trauma and it's okay to deal with said trauma and it's okay to open those doors that as a man we get constantly told not to open hmm. no for sure i i can see that i i've never really seen it in that light before but it, it rings very true i i've just accepted it being broader in that sense that uh trauma and all of that is is good to actually <laughs> process for once and not just push down but there is definitely an interpretation there with masculinity being the reason as to why mm. for sure for sure this is one of my favorite sequences in the movies simply because mm -hmm. of the uh, the filmmaking it's very visual i love how for example um there's a there's a there's a shot on an empty pilot uh, pilot's chair chair of the pilot there's an empty seat and then we slowly slowly fade into him actually sitting in the seat and it kind of like um, communicates how he's disoriented and finds himself in various places sporadically and it, it all being a a dream sequence a, a nausea fest and while it visually communicates his physical and mental state we also see a bunch of flashbacks and and flashes of all sort of things and we don't really know what's mm -hmm. what's to believe and what what's not to um mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. a it's a it's a vague enough explanation as to his background we we just get mm -hmm. images of his uh presumed ex-partner and and of course his relationship with his father is further explained but not completely it's just enough and it's a it's a very nice meditative yet sequence uh, mm -hmm. yeah i i think it especially works because it's showing us character without telling us yeah again but <laughs> like not, it's such not a... at all exp i lost the word again this exploratory uh, it's not uh, it's not exposition yes it doesn't feel like exposition it doesn't feel like a like a force feed moment of like oh we have 10 minutes to kill let me shove all this information down your throat it feels like part of this character's journey and i think the key to this movie is that the focus is roy and how he grows and how he becomes you know okay with the different sides of himself and i feel like it's that reason and the fact that it's such a visual moment in a movie that already has very minimal dialogue in my opinion mm, um yeah. it feels natural it feels natural it feels like the natural step to take is as a hero he started the mission now he has the information to complete the mission and now he needs to take a step back before reaching his goal you know yeah so yeah no kudos to the editors because goddamn, i it's, love that it's, sequence it's too. a great <laughs> sequence 
because um, I mean throughout the movie is very meditative is the word I would use mm-hmm. um, and this one is it works a lot in the favor as a break from that but still in the vein of the meditativeness it's cool it's cool yeah it's really nice. and I feel like you also get a really cool very clean way to appreciate the score mm-hmm. <laughs> which is uh I wouldn't say it's necessarily the standout of the film but I think most film scores don't have to be like I feel like if if the one thing that I take away from your movie is the score is because the visuals were probably not there <laughs> like with the prequels uh of star wars and how yes the mu- the music is arguably the best part of <laughs> <Yeah>. those um <laughs> but i feel like in this case the score is just right to accompany accompany us through that you know inner journey that roy goes through before reaching his his dad in project lima i like the way we find dad here tommy lee jones in, in the spacecraft because i mean we have we have made up an image of him in our own minds by all of the uh, contradictory things we've heard of him and and then we mm-hmm. find him being just what we expect him to be at the same time not at all he's very calm mm. he's, he's very uh, happy to see his son and doesn't really question it <laughs> which is funny um, he's just like what took you so long kind essentially of, you know? <laughs> like imagine what we could have done together so cool and of course he's he's reluctant to leave his um, his project behind and everything yet I don't find very difficult to persuade no mm-hmm. for sure because um, I mean it's, it's clear at this point that uh, Roy would be ready to uh, have to do something about his dad if if needed be but mm-hmm. i guess his his intent by all means was the best and trying to convince him to go back home which ultimate he ultimately mm-hmm. does and then we get a little bit of a, uh a little bit of a turnaround with his dad at the last moment when they are about to open the air airlock more or less so yeah with him uh jumping into the abyss yeah it's it's, there's like a line that they say along the lines of uh, well we established that there is nothing and to him that's kind of where his turning point is that so my entire life has been spent to find nothing yeah and it's so deep to the point where your son that you haven't seen for 30 years is right in front of you and you care so little about this human being that you have created that you're willing to give it up because your 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 work has has showed a different result from what you hoped i feel like i love when a movie subverts your expectations and i think to a certain extent most of us were like okay he found his dad and maybe they have like this moment where it's like oh my god you know i haven't seen you i'm sorry that you weren't a priority now i understand that you should have been and instead we get this scene where it's like yeah i don't regret it sorry (laughs) i really i really love the character that tommy lee jones is and what he does for the story because 
It's, there's mm-hmm. very little screen time. It's more of a character in the mind of our main character, Roy, and his his image of him being confirmed or disproven once he actually meet him officially, yeah. right? Uh, so, so we still stick to the actual t- theme of the movie or whatever mm-hmm. story of the movie. Uh, it's quick and easy, and then he's just out of there. And yeah, oh, talking about favorite moments in this film, it's amazing how he. Oh, I wish I rec- remembered what he said, but it's something like, "What is it? It's it's, it's essentially him giving up on life. Like, what, what's worth living? My dad just went off into Neptune." <laughs> And we fade to black. Literally. And we fade to black and they hold it. I'm like, well, that's it. The movie is over. But no, we fade back up. And he gives, he gets some sort of will to continue living. Wow. Yeah. It's cool. It's really cool. And I think it's like there that a lot of people feel cheated about the movie. Yeah. Because the whole movie's like, oh, we're going to go get his dad and then he's gonna come back and if not at least we know that they found proof of alien life and it's like no and no there his dad is an asshole Mm -hmm. and he just you know committed suicide and was insane and no there's no alien life so then a lot of people felt like okay so then what the fuck was the point of us going in this thing with him for two hours and i will tell you what the point was right now the point was that it's a movie about him. <laughs> the movie's not about like aliens. The movie's not about anything other than his relationship with himself. And the fact that he has to admit that he's like a 40-year-old man and he can't keep blaming his dad walking out on him for everything else in his life. He needs to like take responsibility for himself, right? And I love the fact that we don't end the movie with him getting to the shuttle i Mm. love the fact Mm. that he finds the resolve to survive we have this beautiful fucking sequence of him going through neptune like jesus christ um so good so good and it's like the director says that it's one of the places where the lighting makes the least amount of sense no for sure um but that him and Hoite always wanted to have practical lighting, like the lighting throughout the movie, they wanted it to be as mostly as practical as possible mm-hmm. and that it made practical sense. Uh, and that he understands that Neptune wouldn't give up that m- amount of light. It, But how can you shoot a sequence in the dark? It's not possible. Um, so they shoot this sequence and honestly, you're just sitting there and it's like, yeah. whoa, how, how? And and again, this is probably the least <laughs> realistic aspects of the movie because he goes through the rings of Neptune with a little bit of metal that he found. <laughs> but I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. We, we start yeah. the movie with a very set in stone, like on feet on the earth we start there mm-hmm. and progressively throughout mm-hmm. the movie we get more spiritual and dreamlike and it works as a progress throughout it's it works fine it works fine yeah yeah um i love 
these movies where we find ourselves in the most outwardly out otherworldly worldly whoa mm -hmm. places we're, we're literally in mm -hmm. space right we're in the most abstract to our human minds places that we can be and yet the yeah. story is about so something so humane something so touching and close to the soul yeah like intimate and it's I love it. Like you said, it's it's such a big setting yeah. for such a personal yeah. story. It, if, it right? just works so well. The uh, contrast yeah. between the two or whatever. The fact that we're able to find ourselves in this place and meditate on what it is to be human instead of anything else that is less personal. Uh, bigger than yeah. yourself it's it's the complete opposite it is only about the individual which makes sense right like there for some weird reason it makes sense that leaving all of your context mm. as a human behind literally behind because you're leaving earth <laughs> yeah. would make you look inward and think about what makes you human and what really means for you to be part of humanity and what humanity represents right because like there's other sci-fi movies that talk about aliens and, and what aliens do and you know inevitably most of them become political commentary yeah. Yeah. um but in this case i love i love this idea of like well what the fuck would happen if we actually didn't contact intelligent life forms right like what does it mean for us because then there's no reason to explore yeah. right like there's no reason to colonize there's no reason for nothing mm. like if you think about it yeah every single exploration that mankind has actually mm. done was with the hopes to learn to the hopes to connect and to understand more but if we go out into space and we find that there's nothing else. And because of that, shit. the entire space war on the moon works. It makes sense. Yeah. I still feel like it's a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's the blasters. I can understand that the blasters could throw you off for sure. Because they're definitely the wackiest piece uh, of tech. Part of me just... In the whole movie. Yeah, definitely. But uh, other than that sequence, the blasters are fine. Because they are more pistols than they are blasters so the very last scene though we have seen a face that's really all we've seen it's clear that it's a relationship that's close to him but the very last mm -hmm. scene we see him uh back on earth with a cup of coffee yeah and it turns out yes. to be a date with his long lost love uh, how do you feel about that i think it's necessary mm. to have but I would have done what the director originally did. Go on, okay. Because I feel it's a little bit... I, I don't... Mm, I feel a little bit cheated. It's tacked on. It's, it's a little bit it's cliche. But yeah. it's not it's cliche bad. And it's it's, it's a nice on. way to end it on a nice note. Mm. But I, eh. So originally the movie finished when Roy gets to Earth and 
he gets pulled out of the shuttle and you see that he's happy to be back home um but he's also still like processing what happened outside of home and that was the end of it Mm -hmm. but you know the more that they edited and the more that the studio people saw it which like this movie here's the interesting part about Astra is that it's such a weird movie to be done because there's no mid budget movies anymore. Like we live in a time of really huge, really blockbuster, you know, 200, $300 million movies or very small indie, no budget movies. Well, no, no, not budget, but like small budget. And this is like a medium range budget. Mm. Um, so it's a weird, it's a weird little universe that it exists mm. in where it's like, it's not the Avengers, but it still needs to make its money back, you know? <laughs> so, you know, they thought that if you didn't show Roy trying to reconnect with his ex-wife, then people didn't really see his journey come full circle. Yeah. And it felt like people needed that little bit of, oh, okay, so he's actually a different man. And like it for for people it wasn't enough to assume that he was a different changed person. Yeah. They needed to see that in action. And the best way to see that would be him trying to reconnect with his wife. I, for I sure. think that's the best way to do it. I wouldn't have it any other way, which is rare to say about a movie, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Like, I would have been fine with it ending, mm. you know, him arriving at the shuttle. But if you need it more, I agree. There's really no other way. Also, his ex-wife is Liv Tyler. Hello. <laughs> I think she's deeply underused, deeply underused. And I understand why. Like, that's not the story at all. But I think it's nice to see her back on screen because she like she hasn't been in in a lot lately. Mm. So, yeah, more Liv Tyler. No, I think that's my only gripe. She doesn't have more than a minute of screen time now. <laughs> oh yeah, one hundred percent. Oof. Well, I mean, the conversation has been fairly sporadic is not really the word but it's been all over the place there's a lot of aspects to the movie granted yeah it's difficult to keep a conversation uh to to be completely comprehensible when it comes to this one yeah i think we've tried to maintain a a straight line as possible um it's rough though Uh, i don't know i don't know how to put it better that's that's the best that we're able to do uh Mm. I'm I'm happy it's very highly rewatchable. Yes. Oh yes. One hundred percent. But it's a mood and, though. You need to be in a very calm and sensible sort of state of mind. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the more that we discuss movies and the more that we kind of journey into different filmmakers. Yeah. The more that I really appreciate the fact that some movies are better just because of that reason, yeah. just because they are of a certain mood or they are a certain way. Um, not to take away from stuff that you can watch all the time, you know, 
the love that we both have for Scott Pilgrim is insane. Mm. Um, Which is... And it's not a lesser film. It's on a completely different spectrum of films. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Out of five stars, this, to me, is a uh, five-star movie. I could see that. I could see that. I, and I'm so happy, A, that you gave it a five star because I think it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know, man. I feel like it's such a... The first time that I saw it and this time that I saw it, it, it feels oddly like a warm hug, even though it's such a cold fucking movie. <laughs> it's a bittersweet warm <laughs> hug. Yes. Yeah. Um and again, I fucking love Brad Pitt. Like, I really do, man. Like, this is... I, I'm happy that he won Best Actor for Hollywood, mm. but this is fucking amazing. It's um, pretty. In terms of uh, rating, I would give it a... I'm gonna... I originally gave it a 4 out of 5 when I saw it back in theaters. Yes. yes. But I am upping it. And I'm, I'm giving it oh. um, a 4.5 out of 5. Oh. Okay super enjoyable i can't recommend it enough to certain people i wouldn't recommend this to everyone but i think (laughs) i um i couldn't have asked for anything else in this one yeah no 100 percent. yeah yeah space cowboys in space oh that's a different movie oh yeah right Uh (laughs) do you have any allergies No. Nothing at all. Oh, you're lucky. No. Yeah. Because I've been developing, uh, I'm actually unsure. It's pollen, but I'm not sure what pollen specifically. I know my dad has a very bad grass allergy. I don't think I feel too much grass, but I'm, I haven't yet pinpointed it. So it's, gets, okay. it's like three years ago, I started taking pills for allergy. Uh, I remember. So now yeah. I'm trying to like check the app of like, okay, now this tree is uh, having more pollen than this other tree. I'm trying to figure out if there's anything specific. Not that it matters that much, but in the future, I would like to predict if June or April is going to be the worst month just to just to know. There's an app for that? Yeah. Of course, there's an there's app an for that. There's an app there's for an everything. App for everything. Fucking A. <laughs> mm. That is such a weird concept for an app. I mean, I get it though. I mean, I get it because I know that there's a lot of people who suffer through their al- through their allergies in springtime. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if your people where you where you find yourself is more is less. <laughs> what would you call it? Since it's rain season and everything, maybe allergy is lesser. Therefore, here it's uh... this year it hasn't been too too dry, but. Uh... Honestly, spring here is so fucking warm. Yeah. This year was disgusting. Yeah. yeah. I'm so happy that it rains every day now because it was honestly it was fucking awful. <laughs> I've been I've been feeling excited about summer as you know the the midday sun has appeared and it's a really nice time out for a stroll. But now mm-hmm. officially mosquitoes have appeared and I realized why I find summer to be the worst season of them all. I agree. Outside of my country, I think summer is awful. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. 
Nevertheless, <sighs> that's the conversation for another time because uh, my cup of coffee is over. Your jug jar of coffee is uh, about halfway, seemingly. And the conversation is practically mm. over of Ad Astra. Lovely movie. It's been a nice talk, mm. even though it's been a very existential one, <laughs> at least here at the mm. end. But I think that reflects the movie fairly. For sure. Yeah. Hit it. Thank you so much for joining us for this latest episode on the Films and Figure podcast. Uh, if you've made it this far, thank you. And uh, be sure to tell us what your favorite sci-fi movie is. But not sci-fi. Let's make it space travel. Ooh. What's your face favorite space travel movie? Um, if you are on the YouTubes, uh, leave us a thumbs up maybe subscribe you can ring the bell even though you already know that we're going to be here every other Thursday uh, if you're on the audio side of it we're on every single podcasting platform including the one that you're listening on <laughs> so uh, keep it up keep up the good work have, um, have a great day we also have a letterbox account each of us where we post about movies that we don't get to talk to about here and um yeah thank you for joining us thank you Alka. this was nice oh, thank you uh i'm looking forward to to next time not <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.